Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. And good morning, listeners. Welcome to Green Left Radio, back in its original form, uh, the second week running. Uh, Jacob uh, and Rivatha and Lalita Chalaya. It's the third week home. running, actually. Third week. Now, the first week we didn't have the paper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this week we have um, three interviews lined up for you with the uh, latest um, information about various disputes going on in the community. But before we proceed, we will uh, pay our respects to the el- elders of past of the Wurundjeri um, of community the of the Kula Nation. And Australia was and always will be uh, Aboriginal land. Mm. And that okay. sovereignty was never ceded. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, Jacob, what have we got this morning? We've got an interview with um, the Unemployed Workers Union that's having a rally tomorrow. Yep. And, and we also, I think our first interview is going to be with um, Alan she- Sheffield. Sheffield. And he's someone who's... Um, uh, dealing with this codeine ban being sold over the counter was big news in yesterday's um, uh, ABC News and so on. Um, just let's delve into the details of what that means for people in pain and so on. And they've done a DNA test, so we'll, we'll get more details soon. Yeah. And well, I'm um, speaking of ABC. I mean, I just for, this has been kind of all around the sorry, media. Sorry, sorry. Just before before um, you start, uh, the third interview is is with Geelong Agri. Agri um, uh, company where uh, another dispute is brewing or has started already mm. in relation to another EBA dispute. Yeah. Sorry, um, Jacob. Okay, just, a, just to start off, since we just mentioned ABC, um, probably people might have noticed this in the media. I mean, I just noticed this last night, um, but there's kind of been a big leak of the ca- so-called cabinet files. I know. <laughs> um, basically, they are leaked kind of government documents that have somehow ended up in the hands of the ABC. And so the ABC has kind of reported on some of it. I mean, some of the details, I don't think I'll be able to relay them all on the program, but, you know, some of the details include... Um, Scott Morrison apparently encouraging um, ASIO to basically not um, base... I don't know what the details, but it's something to do with visas of um, asylum seekers, but that's kind of the... the kind now, of Scott Morrison had sent a message to um, the Immigration Department to delay any medical checks and security checks on um, refugees, mm. even if, even though they were officially UN, UN declared refugees, uh, just to, just for political purposes. So if, if the checks are delayed, that means they can't, cannot come into Australia. So it's a dirty trick, really. I mean, they say it's not illegal, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, people have, have to have a conscience, eh? Yeah. So I just want to, now that's, 
but you can read that all up online on ABC. I think ABC has quite yep. a good um, report. They and do. I think the files have since been seized by ASIO. Um, <laughs> but they still, hide, ABC hide, has hide. been able to report on, you know, some of the highlights of the report. And obviously they won't report all the information contained in those reports because of confidentiality. Um, but yeah, Steph, it's, it's kind of like a, I see it as a bit more of a bizarre story um, than anything. Nothing that, you know, I mean, a lot of people would see this as, you know, very shocking. But, I mean, I feel like I've been desensitised by the amount of shady stuff that our government does, that anything that's in those files is absolutely kind of no surprise to me. And That's right. You expect this, really, from the government because they're so shady in everything they do. They say, well, we only release information that is not going to affect us politically. And then you have all the... Um, False information they give too, in, in, in such a way that you don't think, oh, is this right or wrong? And because as a minister saying it, oh, it must be right. You know, you just sort of get lulled into a little complacency for some people anyway. Hmm. Now, I just wanted to give a bit of an update on this is something we've been covering, um, in our show and it's also something it's a kind of a campaign area that I'm personally involved in, which is um, around this kind of dis- um, public housing. Um, just to give a summary of the story um, up to this point, um, basically um, the Labor, um, the Liberal and Greens basically voted to gazette this planning amendment, which would basically would have um, prevented this public housing land on, in Ashburton from being sold off um, to private developers. Um, so that was blocked in Parliament by the two parties, the Liberals and the Greens. And, of course, the Greens got attacked for this. And, you know, I said previously on the show and from interviewing um, the residence groups involved in this particular um, issue um, that, you know, it was the Greens had actually did the right thing because I don't think, you know, public land should be sold off in exchange for a measly increase in social housing. Um, so the kind of recent developments that are kind of happening in Parliament is actually Labor, as a result of being voted against, um, are trying to redress this proposal. And so this proposal... Um, what they're trying to put forward is things like, oh yes, well, we'll still sell off the estate, but we're going to build more how, more low-rise buildings instead, more affordable apartments on the land, um, to make the deal seal seem sweeter. Yeah, but the thing is, the very notion of social housing is abhorrent because it simply means that some NGOs and some real estate agents end up, uh, charging, um, the tenants uh, a little less than 75% mm. of the commercial rent, mm. which is appalling. That's about three, four times more than what people pay in public yeah. housing. Just just to make a quick correction there, um, because the, the terminology is often confusing, um, what you're referring to there, um, to there, Lali, is community housing, but they use the term... The same thing. They, oh, but they use the term social housing, is, which right. includes both public and community. That's That's how the government uses the term. So you don't know what percentage of a development is going to include public housing or community housing, um, which is the confusion. But some people, you know, say that, oh, yeah, social housing is community, but that, yeah, that's not. not completely accurate. It includes both community and public housing. Um, so that's sort of where things are at. I mean, um, Greens leader Samantha Ratnam said her party remained deeply concerned um, that renewing public housing was founded on the selling off of public housing estates. And I think the Greens 
did the right thing by, you know, standing by that because, you know, this, you sh- we shouldn't, as a public housing activist who's campaigning for public housing, we should not accept any kind of redevelopment or proposal that basically involves the selling of public land to private developers that we'll never get back. Um, just in exchange for a measly increase in public housing. And in fact, if they can build all these private apartments on the land that they're going to be building as part of this redevelopment, well, that raises the question, why can't 100% of the development be all new public housing? It's called money, Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I think it's it's also worthwhile looking at where the Adani campaign is going. And I've got a story here put out by... Uh, Aboriginal community up there and they um, they have won an interim junction momentarily protecting the Wangan and Jagalingo country from Adani's uh, wanton destruction. Um, the win has given the movement, uh, that com- the two communities, a bit of a, a break. So their fight has been long and hard but it's, it's going to be even tougher now and, and I think we brought uh, some news to you two weeks ago about Orizon, the company that was applying to the National um, Infrastructure uh, Federation up north that was uh, uh, going to ask the Balashank government for money to build the uh, railroads for Adani. So, but this, this, this community organization has taken on the government and um, on the 2nd of December last year, the people, the, the communities unanimously rejected the, um, uh, the agreement with Adani and this is the fourth time since 2012 that they have thrown out Adani's offer who's trying to, what they're trying to do is squash native land title and um, the national t- native uh, title tribunal wants to know about what they know about is a meeting organized and pay, what if the meeting the community meetings were paid and organized uh, for by Adani and, and stacked with people who had no right to authorize a deal and sign away um, our country and our culture so this injustice and deceit must must not stand so there are many messages that are going around so those who want to to look up uh, more about uh, this um, Deal that trying, that the National Native Title Tribunal where you've got a split in the community about this whole issue should look up the Native Title uh, Tribunal in, um, in Queensland and uh, look for Wangan and Jaga, L-A-J, sorry, J-A-G-A-L-I-N-G-O-U country. Um, so that battle is still, um, flaring up there. So they are looking at, um, they're looking forward to a day when they can, uh, say Adani is vanquished and no government will gain, uh, again consider opening up the Galilee Basin, uh, which to the community, um, you know, means that annihilation of the ancestral lands and waters and the laws, customs, the very identity and rights as First Peoples. Yeah, just to give, um, just to give a bit of an update on the Stop Adani campaign because it's actually, well, this is related to another news story that's just sort of made the headline news in yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of our listeners um, probably do have him as elected representative or used to, but David um, Feeney um, is basically a dual citizen um, yes. and has basically <laughs> stepped um, down. Yes. Uh, although it wasn't confirmed whether he could... Um, whether he was a dual citizen, because I think it was he basically... He couldn't prove that he wasn't a yes, dual citizen. Yes, because he didn't, he didn't, um, he couldn't find his papers. Yeah. Um, so that, 
at this point, it looks like there will be a by-election happening in the, the seat be. of Batman, and Stop Adani groups have actually are going to be campaigning quite heavily in that particular seat because it is a marginal seat between the Greens and the Labor Party. Yes, there's also complication with the Greens. Uh, Jed Carney has been nominated by the Labor Party to stay in Batman, hmm. and within the Greens, there's a lot oh. of unrest, and we don't know how. True well, I just or have a bit. I just have a bit of a report on that. I probably wouldn't discuss that open well in it's been it's, in the media but i have heard yeah. some news that there's just a bit of dispute around some things about alex bataille but apparently she won't be pre-selected but as far as i know at a greens branch meeting um she has been pre-selected by a very high majority vote to be this candidate for okay. batman that's interesting um and and it was and the only people who voted against her were apparently the 20 that made a complaint that a in the news. So it's all a bit complicated. We have no idea whether it could be, say, no, it could be exaggerated it. in the media to sort of yeah. swing things in the favour of the Labour Party. Um, although what, what was interesting was Jed Carney was um, pre-selected as the Brunswick candidate. Now she's been no, parachuted she's, into right. the seat of Batman. Yeah, we shall keep an eye on that and see how it, it all unfolds. Because... Um, at the last elections, Alex Bethel won. Uh, there was a 9.8% swing towards Greens, mm. and she's that's the second time she stood, and she's she's well known in in that area. But anyway, let's move on. Yep. I think it's a uh, time to call the um, first interviewee, so to speak. In 2015, Labor and the Coalition voted to commence cashless welfare card trials where 80% of people's welfare payments are placed onto a cashless card that can only be used at a certain retailers and banning alcohol purchases. And coming up in the next sitting of Federal Parliament is a new legislative bill on cashless card which contains the following changes. The, the bill will remove Section 124 of Social Security Administration Act in order to remove limits on number of cashless card locations, also remove limits on numbers of potential welfare recipients to be placed on cashless cards, and finally to wipe any end date to card trials, therefore making the cashless welfare cards into a permanent measure. Owen, you're from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, and can we start by describing the campaigns to oppose the cashless card that you're involved in? Yes, sure. Thanks, Peter. Well, first I just want to say what an outrageous attack, this expansion of cashless welfare. We know the trials didn't work. The trials actually made it worse for people on the dole and made it a real living hell for a lot of people, and rates of violence increased, and a lot of people came out and said, actually, it didn't achieve what the government wanted to achieve, and yet the government have ignored this data and have decided to expand the trial anyway. So it doesn't even meet the government's own objectives, and yet they're expanding it and hoping nobody really notices. But a lot of unemployed people have noticed, and we're going to try to fight this as much as we possibly can. And what we've arranged so far is a National Day of Action on the 3rd of February, where we're going to have events across the country to make our voices heard on this issue. And... In Melbourne, we're going to be gathering outside the State Library at 1 p.m. on Saturday the 3rd to try to get some community support around unemployed people and this horrendous attack. And we're going to try to lobby the crossbench both in the lower and upper house because this bill has to pass both the lower house and the upper house for it to work. And we've targeted a, a series of MPs and senators to try to get them to understand the perspective of unemployed people and what horrible position this card will put them in. What we need to say to the government is here are people who are hurting and you're making them hurt more with these policies. So 
I think we all need to come and support unemployed people. And, and if unemployed people out there have stories and they want to get active, then they should come down and talk to other unemployed workers and other unemployed workers union members to see how they can fight back against this punitive system because no one's going to do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. So I encourage everyone who's interested in this issue and unemployed workers to come down and, and fight for a better social security system. So they're doing a National Day of Action in Melbourne. Our event will be held outside the State Library at 1 p.m. on Saturday where we're all going to come down and it's, it's going to be a, a really nice day where we're just going to have a lot of unemployed workers and a lot of members of the union chance to talk to each other about what's going on and people can tell each other their stories. We're going to have an open mic there so people can say what their experience has been on the dole because, as I've said, the experiences of unemployed people have been shut out of this policy-making process and this deliberate attack on unemployed people and try to fight for some dignity in our social security system. This is going to affect everybody. Anyone out there who has a job, you can lose that job tomorrow and it's a good chance going by the current rate of how things are going. Unemployed people across Australia are going to be put on this income management system and we've all got a stake in this fight because no one in their right mind will be put on this system because it makes it so difficult to survive and there's so much stigma involved. So we all need as a society to defend the right of Australians to a decent, dignified social security payment and what this expansion is doing is it's taking that away from people. Alright, that was um, Owen Bennett from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Um, we were just, we're just sort of having an issue with um, getting our first interview booked in. Um, so I'll play just one more announcement and then I might talk about a quick news story. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has a specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419-8377. All right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio on 855 AM and it's uh, 718 AM. All right, we haven't been able to get into um, our first interview Um hasn't been able to answer the call. Um, but this something I wanted to talk about is um, some of our listeners um, probably might have heard in the past week that uh, a pretty famous um, science fiction and fantasy author, Yusilla K. Lee Gwynn, um, had um, passed away um, in the past week. And um, one of the, the kind of significant things about her writing was, you know, how... As um as written here by Christopher Zimmerly Beck, um it kind of her writing offers a temporary reprieve from you know the terrors and traumas of our current political moment of soaring wealth inequality and the daily struggle to resist the belligerent menace of Donald Trump and the ruling class he serves. Um, you know, Ursula Le Guin um, authored more than 20 novels, um, as well as a collection of poetry and children's books, and passed away aged eight. 88 on January the 22nd. 
And I think one of the significant things about um, Ursula Le Guin um, was that she was a radical thinker. Um, her work, you know, examined both the kind of ugliness and beauty of her uh, world. She upended um, literary conventions and embraced the fantastic to tell stories that compelled readers to rethink um, their basic assumptions about our society. And one of the notable kind of things is, you know, um, Le Guin was, you know, very associated with um, anarchist politics um, and was closely quite aligned. In the 1960s, she was an activist, including opposition to the Vietnam War and began to identify with pacifism and anarchism. And you can kind of see that that's kind of like a seeping kind of theme in a lot of her work. Um, a lot of her work, like books like The Dispossessed, you know, show um, a kind of a turn of a world where you know, and portray a kind of a narco kind of communist world and alternatives to, to capitalism. And that was one of the kind of amazing kind of things that worked there. Her work kind of had a very strong anti-capitalist um, critique of society um, and, of course, was very fascinated with this idea of utopia. Um, one of her more significant kind of um, right, um, things that she said over the past two years was she on when she was given a prize she gave a speech on you know how capitalism may seem its power may seem in, inescapable um but then so did the divine right of kings given a positive message that you know another world is possible and that we have to fight for it um so that is um that's just by mention of Yusila Liwan and uh Ashubit. Okay. Yeah, apologies there, um, listeners. The um, the person who was supposed to be available for the interview um, is um, not answering the phone. But just to give people a bit of an idea, I'm sure everybody would have seen that uh, codeine, buying codeine over the, which is a painkiller, over the counter has been abolished as from today. And research shows that 35%, one in three, in other words, 35% of Australians have used code in the last year. And two-thirds, um, that's 64%, purchase, purchase them over the counter. And one in four, <coughs> excuse me, who use codeine admit that their pain is still not under control. So, John, um, sorry, um, uh, Alan Sheffield was going to uh, shed more light on that if he, if we can, um, Contact him in the next little while. We'll get more information about it because there is a DNA test that reveals um, more details about this uh, treatment of pain. And I'm sure that a lot of people out there who are in pain, especially workers who have got back injuries and so on. Um, so we will get to that when Alan's available. Um, <clears throat> Jacob. Yeah. Oh, yes, some more um, news articles. Um, I haven't got anything prepared right now. Just let me quickly play a quick announcement. No. Um, there's, um, there's heaps of stuff. Nurses, nurses actually um, had a great win. Um, there were the Bupan HK nurses have been fighting for a wage rise for such a long time. And um, they wanted uh, a bit of a wage rise. And they had uh, has agreed to... Uh, Bupa had agreed to a wage rise of 11.25% over three years for more than a 1,000 aged care nurses um, and carers in Victoria. And the nurses took part in industrial action affecting 26 nursing homes. And they've been fighting for, for a long time now. Um, they've been on strike by four days uh, out of the period they've been um, 
engaged in this industrial battle. And 14 months after rejecting the original offer of just 2.1% in a one-year agreement with no other changes, the nurses um, have actually won an agreement and the ANMF members also um, have have won this um, after cons- concerted effort. Um, the nurses and carers only take industrial action as a last resort, as we all know, and Bupa's initial offer would have t- kept its nurses and carers' wages in the bottom 10% of aged care facilities. And this is what happens when you pay people low wages and also employ people who are uh, not as qualified as it could be um, you you get a poor workforce demoralized and are not motivated to do their way, the work properly, and that's not not hard to come by. Um, so the new enterprise agreement contains significant changes to the workload clause and Sunday penalties, protection of um, accrued long leave, uh, long service leave, and entitlement for employee transition to retirement recognition of part-time employee, regular additional hours, and so on. So while the ANMF is pleased with the outcome, it had also sought improved staffing levels with more registered nurses, enrolled nurses, and personal care workers on every shift. So the inadequate staffing levels in aged care has become so normalized in a profit-driven aged care sector that employers appear blind to the consequences. And we saw this in this morning breaking news. There was one um, nurse who was throttling a um, person who had cerebral palsy, and it's become big news. Yes, it is abuse. Yes, the the, the nurse needs to be punished, and the organization needs needs to look at what is going on. And this is part of the whole picture. You cannot pay uh, people poor salaries and, um, you know, have very stressful conditions to work under and expect perfect care from people. And then there's no excuse for what happened. Um, uh, that's being reported on the news about this nurse who throttled this poor, uh, tried to throttle this poor chap. So the action has uh, set a new um, precedent for engagement in aged care sector, and they still need more registered nurses who are higher, who have higher qualifications. And that was the norm, say, 20 years ago. You had uh, many tra- uh, trained nurses, uh, registered nurses, and enrolled nurses who would manage the um, aged care sector. But today it's been people who are you know, called care workers who are also good workers, but they need uh, better conditions to work in to improve the care of our old people in society. Hmm. Um, I'll just go, um, thanks for that, Lani. I'm just going to play a quick announcement, and I've got a good kind of interesting yes. story to share. So we need to also may, may, uh, announce that you're listening to 3CR. You're listening to 3CR. And 855 on your AM dial. And um, this is Green Left Weekly Radio. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. 
Alright, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio on 855am and it is currently 727am, getting close to 730 Alright, so this is um, an article from um, the latest Green Left Weekly. Um, it's basically about um, kind of a small kind of story, um, basically about um, how, you know, the Department of Immigration um, have blocked a tour by um, a popular Iraqi singer. Um, his name is Noor Al-Zain. Um, he was scheduled to have a, um, he was scheduled to be playing in, in basically the past week and the past weekend. Um, and, but apparently two days, um, before his first concert, um, the tour organizers announced that the Australian Department of Immigration and Border Protection had, has delayed granting a visa to Alzan. And of course, um, in the article here, um, Dima, who, who's written this article, you know, writes in Green Left Weekly that, you know, it comes to as no surprise that the Australian government refused to grant a visa to an Iraqi visitor, given the ra- racist politics of this country seen clearly in immigration policies, especially towards refugees. Um, but, you know, there's this great concern that even someone as high profile as Al Zane, um, you know, had, was rejected. And in fact, his concert was basically sold out. Um, and of course, it's quite fascinating that, you know, there's lots of high profile artists and bands that have no problem getting into Australia. In fact, mm. I'm seeing a high profile band next Thursday. Yeah. But they're, because they're pop, they're white, um, come from an Anglo country and they don't come from a country like Iraq. You know, a Middle Eastern country. It's Muslim, Jacob. Yeah. That's a problem with these people. They can't handle it. Well, the problem is I'm not even sure if this guy is actually even Muslim. As far as I know, I wouldn't be quick to presume his um, religion. Fair it's enough. just because he's um, brown-skinned. I And he's from Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Trump did this list of countries. He was banning people, you know, from those countries to come into the U.S. So Australia is trying to do it. A bit differently, I guess. Yeah, but they kind of do it in more subtle ways. Um, Subtle, God. (laughs) But yeah, it's always a, there's always an issue, like, especially when for any, um, you mean, the United States try to implement these Mm. bans on Middle Eastern countries, but as you can see, based on this kind of story here, and there's plenty of other stories like this, um, people from, the same countries that Trump tried to ban from travelling appear to have the same problem getting to a, into a country like Australia. So Yeah, well, we are joined at the hips, as Malcolm Turnbull said, aren't we? Anyway, there's another story that's um, quite, well, significant really, because Australia's 33 billionaires increased their wealth by more than $38 billion last year. So this is what's happening with the business community. They are raking in the money. And more than one million each, that means, and that's more than three million each day. Uh, at the other end, of course, we've got, um, according to Credit Suisse data cited in the Sydney Morning Herald, the wealth of the bottom half of Australians declined in the same period alongside standing, uh, stagnating wage growth. And we know that for the last 16 years, the wages haven't grown at all. And today over the news, um, I think it was Malcolm Turnbull who was saying, the workers have to be patient. You know, they can't expect wage rises because that will destabilize the economy. While this is happening, one billion each. That's how much they've increased the income the last year. I, I, I always query, what are they going to do with that $1 billion? You know, buy mm. expensive yacht, yachts, uh, yachts, 
um, gamble their money away is just as absolutely deplorable. And <clears throat> people often say the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And these figures obviously prove that. Then <clears throat> the, the top 1% are doing very well. Thank you very yeah. much. And it's not just that. Um, you know, it's actually... Um, it's getting the cost of living is increasing and That's it's right. getting um, harder and harder to make ends meet. So in addition to the fact that you that wages aren't growing, your the cost of living is also increasing. Um, and it's kind of reflected in the fact that, you know, um, for a lot of families, families are getting pushed out further and further. They're suburbs that they could have afforded um, like ten years ago with the same stagnant kind of wages. Um, but then they get pushed out. So you have this issue of wages not increasing. Mm. Um, so people's live living standards aren't getting better, but then people's it's living miserable. standards are getting worse yeah. because um, basically the cost of living is increasing. So it's um, and if your wages aren't increasing, um, you expect um, you won't be able to adapt to basically live in the same place or enjoy the same quality of life yeah. that you were before if the cost of living is increasing. Exactly, especially when rents are skyrocketing with, with housing prices. Anyway, another story. South Australian government has begun a public consultation on whether to hold a trial of underground coal gasification. Despite all the campaigns by the environmental groups and people, so many different groups campaigning against this. So we've got this um, initiative in um, South Australia. In Queensland, it's been banned um, after it caused irreversible damage to hundreds of square kilometres of valuable Darling Downs farming land. The UCG is an experiment method of extracting gas from uh, coal seams that are too deep to mine. Uh, using conventional coal, seam gas, seam gas methods. And um, in, the, in uh, UCG mining, oxygen is pumped into the coal seam, which is then set on fire and allowed to burn underground. That combustion process synthesizes gas or syngas, which is used in products such as aviation fuels and synthetic diesel. It was banned in Queensland after, in 2016 after flammable levels of carbon monoxide, hydrogen and hydrogen sulfide, three of the four main gases produced by the UCG process, were detected in soil near the Link um, Energy Plant in Hopland. So this process, which is a poisonous process, is being started in uh, South Australia. Let's hope South Australia, where they have been fighting for renewable energy, where the largest battery reason um, are being used and they've had um, energy supplies boosted by so many different schemes. Why they're doing this is interesting. Uh, whether it's the companies that are you know, pushing for it or this is uh, eyewash consultation remains to be seen. So the Minister for Resources, Tom uh, Kustonis, pardon me if I have pronounced it wrongly, said the approval for the UCG trial was ultimately out of his hands. The approval otherwise of coal gasification projects should be based on science and determined by expert regulations, not politicians, he said. Um, So they have effective regulatory framework in South Australia, apparently. And the merits of the future projects will be assessed against the framework, not the decision of of what happened in Queensland. So we shall wait and see what happens in South Australia. So on another story on um, women's um, issues, um, we've got 
Trump's election uh, detonated a bomb of feminist rage is what um, is written in the Green Left Weekly. Mm. And the Me Too campaign has absolutely caught fire in uh, in the U.S. And homemade signs and, and pink pussy hats abandoned on January 21st as thousands of women rallied in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne as part of the International Women's Marches. And this is amazing. This has set a new feminist wave. Mm. Um, exactly where it goes, we don't know because there's always a citizen about Okay, you know, this, is, this has been started by celebrities. It's all well and good for them to say things. But yep. we are the ones who walk uh, marching on the streets. We need them to come down, march with us and make the point and, and, you know, complete the cycle. You can't just say something on media and then do nothing about it. So yep. this is taken off. And let's see what happens. But within 24 hours, half a million women had broken the silence to join the, the uh, hash me too uh, and were quick to warn that Hash Me Too could create a witch hunt atmosphere as well. So there are a lot of issues women are facing, and mm. certainly the women, young women of today, are waking up what we used to call feminism in the old days. Yeah, <laughs> I think what, great. I think one uh, just a, a one comment on. I mean, I want to talk a bit more actually about um, some of the women's marches in the United States because there is some interesting political debates that are kind of happening there. I mean, the one main kind of thing that's happening there is. Um, the women's marches are attracting very broad layers of people. So people from, you know, less, the less radical to the more liberal kind of democratic kind of voters. Um, but what's interesting is, um, there are some arguments, um, again, put forward against these kind of, um, women's marches because of how dominated they are by liberal democrat politics. Mm. Um, but I think what's interesting is, and some socialists have written about this is that, you know, you could probably argue strongly, despite the kind of political limitations that are kind of set by some of the organisers of these women's marches. In fact, there was one women's march, I'm not sure what state it was, but there was a women's march that actually um, liaised with the police to have basically searches of guns as the march was going. So basically they allowed police to strip search people to check for guns, um, you know, to preserve the safety of the rally. Well, there are terrible things that happen in the U.S. with guns as well. Yes, um, but yeah, that is um, that is of course very problematic. But I guess at the same time, what so um, what you know, the left um, who have gone to these protests have argued that you know the majority of people who are attending these protests are probably more radical than what the Democrats are, even mm. though the Democrats are Certainly, trying to use yeah. this into fuel kind of elect Democrats in 2020. And that's kind of reflected in um, how they're. In, you know, there's a state, the state of union address has happened by Donald Trump. Yep. And everyone's shambling their energy into saying, oh yes, Kennedy or whatever his name is should, <laughs> should be the next president of the United States because he, um, responded in a regularly concrete, coherent way to Donald Trump's nonsense. Um, so I think, and then, um, but then there's also, there's also this kind of debate, um, ha- discussion happening around me too on how can we, Broaden me to to the working class, um, in a sense, because me too has kind of been dominated by celebrities. How can we broaden it out, to, you know, to working class people coming together and taking action, um, especially working class women? Mm. But you have to understand that. Um uh, I guess you know, we we should generally be aware that in America things are a little bit different. Mm. Stop searching for guns. I think I would, um, you know, not. Be too perturbed by it because there are some men who are absolutely raving mad who would shoot people who protest against 
um, women marching the way they do. And it, it, is, it is quite an um, inflammatory situation for men because so many men have been abused, uh, you know, uh, of abusing women. So it, it can inflame some, some person and the protection of women is important. Mm. As well um, as I just want to kind of conclude with this last line from this article about the Women's March and... Um, Basically, it's written here that, you know, one year after Trump, the opposition to hate and reaction is going strong, fueled by the Me Too phenomena that is finding new forms of expression, including taking people taking to the streets. And they, there's a bit of a call out here that the left have to help build the connections between the many grievances and struggles represented on the march and organise the resistance in the months to come. And in fact, What's going to be notable is on International Women's Day, um, there's a lot of organising happening around uh, lead up to a women's strike in mm. the United States. Unfortunately, we're not at that stage yet in Australia, but we'll likely have a really big International Women's Day rally and mobilisation. Okay, you want to talk a little bit about Syria before we go to the next interview? Yep. Um, as we know, Turkey is attacking the YPG in uh, northern um, Syria, and in, it's actually not in Turkey even, this um, Afrin uh, area, and we've talked about it in the past. We had interviewed Mahmoud two weeks ago on this issue, but the, the attack is getting worse, and the Kurdish-led, three years after the, the, the Kurdish-led forces liberated the northern Syrian city of Kobani from ISIS, after a month um, of long siege um, and captured the world's imagination. Uh, this time it's come directly from the uh, virulently, virulently anti-Kurdish Turk, Turkish state. Um, and has, this Turkish state has supported ISIS siege of Kobani. And it's very really interesting how the, the issues have been toing and froing, but Turkey has always hated the Kurds because they demand uh, a separate state, and they're actually uh, doing good things in, in Syria, so that worries the Turkish community, and they use nationalism as uh, as a pointed edge, I guess, to rally their forces. So with approval from both Russia and the U.S., it had launched an invasion of Afrin uh, Canton of the Democratic Federation of Northern Syria uh, in, the, in its latest attempt to destroy the revolution. It sees as a profound threat. It's really interesting in the press, they keep saying the U.S. supports the YPG and they would um, attack Turkey if they attacked uh, Afrin, but that doesn't seem to be the case at this stage. So there's a, there's, and we will announce a rally that's on tomorrow in relation to this because people are being absolutely massacred in that area. And Afrin's uh, one of the three then geographically separated cantons liberated by the Rojava Revolution in 2012. And in these cantons, a unique form of grassroots democracy known as democratic um, autonomy is um, taking place. And, and that bothers uh, Turkey where um, uh, Erdogan is, is running a, a dictatorship. So we'll talk more about this um, you know, in, at the rally on Saturday, and we'll announce the rally, the Tarthi State Library at 1 p.m., but we'll give some details mm. later. I'll yep. get the next interview if you keep going. Yep. Uh, Just one thing I kind of want to mention is um, there is, you know, if you're kind of outraged about, you know, what Turkey is doing um, in Afrin, um, it would be really good if you could you know, check out the website Australians for Kurdistan because we have a sign-on statement um, that we are encouraging people, um, that they're encouraging people to sign up to um, to basically, you know, condemn what 
the statement um, says to the effect of basically condemning what Turkey is doing in Afrin. Um, and it's also a good way of, you know, expressing your solidarity with the Kurds, um, you know, who are in the midst of all this. And another number of high profile figures have already signed on to the statement, um, including the Greens. The Greens have um, spoken out. Um, there's been a number of union officials have, who have also spoken out. So, you know, we really need, especially in terms of solidarity with um, the Kurds, we really need to you know, get as many groups and get as many organisations in Australia to get on board and to condemn, you know, what Turkey is doing because, yeah, Turkey is um, a close ally of ours, um, you know, diplomatically speaking, and, you know, the, any kind of pressure that comes from Australia is definitely um, helpful in the grand scheme of things. Um, so, yeah, just we encourage you to check out that sign-on statement at australiansforkurdistan.com. All right, so I'm just going to play a quick announcement and then we'll go move into our next first in, uh, first interview. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tapman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. So tune in to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial on Thursday afternoon from 3.30 until 4 o'clock. And let's get radical about philosophy. Good morning. You are listening to Green Left Weekly Radio and um, we have our first um, interview of the show on the line. Yes, and that's Valerie Farfalla, who is from the Unemployed Union, uh, union Unemployed Workers Union, sorry. And um, good morning, Val. Good morning, Lolita. Welcome to, this, the, our, to Green Left Weekly Show. And thank, thank you for offering to um, talk to us. Um, the Unemployed Workers Union, there's some new legislation that's being passed to make life a lot harder for them, Val. Tell us about it. Um, yes, well, look, we're, we're actually having a National Day of Action against the welfare crackdown tomorrow mm. outside the State Library. And that's because we're really protesting against the government's punitive crackdown against welfare recipients. We don't like calling them welfare recipients because the government is talking welfare, labelling people, demonising people, calling them the undeserving poor. We're fed up with that. We're talking about our rights. And um, our National Day of Action will fight back against the government's plan to dismantle our social security system. It's as strong as that, Lalisa. Mm. Yeah, I noticed They're introducing that. two bills into Parliament shortly. That's right. Which will significantly expand the dangerous work for the Dole, forced mm. labour program, extend and expand the discredited cashless welfare program, and increase waiting periods for new staff. This cuts payments by five $140 to new applicants, and it increases financial penalties for the unemployed. It also gives private job agencies complete power to, com- to make compliance decisions, taking away government oversight and the unemployed workers' right to review. We at the Unemployed Workers' Union developed a rights booklet, which is on our website, for people going to the job agencies to help them become more assertive, and that's been really effective. But now, um, this was... You know, we could rely on Centrelink to back some bad breaches and fines. But under new legislation, if this goes through, this amendment, it means that um, 
the job agencies will have complete power to make compliance decisions. Mm. It's really outrageous. Yes, uh, it's outsourcing, isn't it? Uh, like everything else, they're outsourcing the misery of of their, the misery they're creating for people in this country. I, I was it just reminded me as you're talking. My daughter uh, graduated a year ago and she has been unable to get a job. And yeah. she she has been referred to this one of these agencies. And she came back in tears one day and she was saying, "They said, Ma, they want me to go and work in a factory to pack things." And she, she was absolutely astounded that, you know, she felt so insulted and unappreciated. She worked hard to get a degree. And this is what this job agencies are offering, industrial jobs for kids who have high qualifications. And um, because she's got asthma, she couldn't work in the job anyway. But the fact is, how are these job agencies treating people? Um, you know, it, it's just appalling the way they they undermine their confidence and um, really destroy young people's motivation looking for jobs, don't you think? Oh, it's shocking. You know, the breaches, fines and rorts, which are ignored by the Turnbull government, lead to increased stress, mental health issues, even suicide Mm. by demoralised job seekers. And that's where the unemployed union, the unemployed workers' union, can really help. We have a hotline advocacy five days a week from 10 till 2 and we have our volunteers talking people through, showing them the website, going through the booklet, uh, which um, is a bit like a consumer guide to mm. how to deal with job agencies. You know do what you I wanna, mean? Do you want to tell people the number and the website, please, Val? Um, the website is um, unemployedworkersunion.com and it's very well laid out. There's a section on rights and if you look up that section, you get access to our booklet, which is online. It raises such issues as, you know, what can you do as alternatives to work for the doll and um, what if the agency doesn't give you 24 hours notice as is promised and then decides to fine you because they couldn't get on to you. All of these things are happening all the time for people. And also the the lack of safety. The working conditions are pretty poor, as we know, Josh, a young boy who who died in Queensland. Because of a lack of safety. This is shocking. Um, Josh Park Fing tragically died at his work for the Dole site in 2016. And even the government's own report admits that the majority of work for the Dole sites are unsafe and the program doesn't help people into work. But the government's welfare reform bill, as it calls it, welfare reform, (laughs) it proposes to expand work for the Dole significantly. That'll mean hundreds of thousands of unemployed Australians will have to attend these dangerous sites for longer. And there's no OHS oversight. It's shocking. Hmm. <laughs> and we want to ban work for the doll. Hmm. Um, and so part of our um, crackdown against welfare is um, this week we're stepping up our Operation February Flood campaign by targeting Senator Darren Hinch because Hinch holds the balance of power in the Senate. Hmm. And he's our best hope of stopping the punitive and dangerous welfare reform bill passing the Senate. So we're at our rally. It's not really a rally, but it's a gathering. But people who come along, we're, we're going to show them our letter templates for writing to the senators and saying, please don't vote this through. Hmm. Um, the lives of unemployed workers are on the line and we haven't had any luck with Senator Hinch so far. Hmm. But that's our main aim in Melbourne particularly. And how can people help you with that campaign to try and... Uh 
bombard Darren Hinge um, with messages in support of the workers, or the unemployed workers? Well, we'd like them to come along to our National Day of Action on Saturday, which is Tomorrow. outside the State Library in Swanson Street. Now, we are competing with uh, another group who's holding a rally. So, you know, it's just going to be a bit chaotic. But we're planning it's a get-together so we can encourage people to join, you know, because our union is voluntary. It's not affiliated with any party. It's a national volunteer organisation trying to protect the rights and dignity of un- unemployed workers. And um, we have, well, we've got more than 40 branches. We've got about 7,000 members because there's no charge or anything. We want them to come along, join in, sign, sign the letters, uh, our templates we've got to send off to the senators. Um, and um, we've got a few different groups coming and speaking, Socialist Alliance, Fair Go for Pensioners, Father Bob, um, and plus an open mic for people to tell their stories. We might have some poetry um, and sign-ups. So it's, it's going to be on from 1 o'clock, probably on the lawns, I think, in front of the library. So we'd really like people to get involved, but also... If they want to contact our website and join up that way, um, there's no charge or anything like that. A join up isn't, doesn't involve anything except getting involved. And um, there's lots of things we need people to do <laughs> in the union to help us. Absolutely. I mean, unless people mobilize behind these issues, everyone gets stomped on. And, and as, as I've read somewhere, 50% of, of uh, welfare recipients, recipients are living under the poverty line anyway. So the more poverty you create, the worse our society becomes. And homelessness is becoming more and more of an issue for many people. So thank you very much, Val. And I hope many people will turn up tomorrow because the Kurds are having a rally on the, at the same time. I know. I know. <laughs> Which is fine. We can join forces. Not exactly. a problem. That's <laughs> the right. more the better as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. it'll be good. And one other thing, um, I, if you don't mind, I'll mention is the AAUW has launched a hashtag Operation February Flood, and its yes. goal is to flood crossbench MPs and senators with letters urging them to vote against this welfare crackdown. So please, anyone who is interested, um, use that hashtag. It's hashtag Operation February Flood, all one word. Um, and right. there's a, the petition as well on megaphone.org. Dot au slash petition. So that's we, we have another we have another petition we've just done, which is to the Nick Xenophon team, mm-hmm. um, and um, just quoting a little bit from it from Owen, who's our president, yes. Owen Bennett. Um, he says that in his letter to the Nick Xenophon team, um, the bill's a cruel and dangerous attack on the dignity and well-being of the unemployed people who've been shut out of the labour market due to no fault of their own. If passed, this bill will accomplish the breakdown and privatisation of our social security system. So that's what it's about, really. Yes. Uh, you know, it is so harsh and punitive, and we've really got to turn it back. Yes, and divide and conquer, you know, uh, where people yeah. are divided into the working and the non-working. Uh, yeah. It's just heartbreaking. Anyway, thank you and so much, Mel. have a job today, and then it's gone tomorrow. Mm, I know. The, yeah. the, inst- the instable or unstable situations. It also affects children. My area is working in children. Oh, I, yes. it, that instability really affects the emotional status of children and their growth for the future as well. But anyway, and, and thank poverty. you. Yeah. Thank you, Val. And uh, we shall see you at the rally tomorrow. Thank you, Lavisa. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. 
Okay, the next um, item, of course, is the calendar, the Green Left Weekly calendar. We shall... We shall continue with, um, we'll have an announcement before we go to the calendar. Jacob, you want yep. to play an announcement? I guess I'll play a quick, uh, let me just, yep. Estás sintonizando 3CR, 855 de tu dial AM. Sedoy Moro, Radio 3CR, 855 AM, Mishanavit. Kính thưa quý vị, đây là đài phát thanh 3CR, trên lần sóng AM 855. Each week, 3CR broadcasts over 130 programs in 25 languages supporting communities and viewpoints that we just don't hear about anywhere else. Subscribe to your award-winning multilingual community radio station, 3CR, and help keep these voices on the airwaves. Call the station on 9419 8377. The number is again 94198377. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is almost 8 a.m. Um, on 855 a.m. Um, just want to mention before we go into the actors calendar, I just want to read out this quick article. Um, Basically, it's about the firefighters um, negotiating a new agreement. Um, and Chris Lee writes here in Greenleaf Weekly, um, the board of the Metropolitan Fire Brigade has voted to support a proposed new enterprise agreement negotiated with the United Firefighters Union. Um, the agreement will now be put to a vote of MFB staff. The document includes clauses requiring, requiring management to consult the union over a range of issues including equipment and uniforms. It safeguards firefighters' pay, conditions and rosters. It ensures safe staffing levels and safe work practices. It also establishes a joint union slash management committee to promote diversity. UFU State Secretary Peter Marshall told Greenleaf Weekly, the agreement is a good outcome for firefighters and the community. He said Fair Work Australia, which examined the operation of consultation in the MFB found it produced better results than unilateral management decision making. The previous enterprise um, agreement expired in 2013. The main obstacle to a new agreement was disagreement over the consultation provisions. MFB management, which had a history of hostility to the union, held out against the proposed agreement. Um, the Victorian Labor government allowed this situation to continue to several, for several years, resulting in the protest action by the union. Eventually, the government decided to support the agreement and some of the most, um, you know, the MFB management personnel resigned, enabling the enterprise agreement to be signed. Meanwhile, the proposed enterprise agreement for the CFA, Country Fire Victoria, remains staled. Um, the CFA covers, as Chris Lee writes here, covers rural areas where it uses volunteer firefighters, but it also covers regional cities and some outer suburbs of Melbourne, where it employs professional firefighters with volunteers playing a supplementary role. Um, the proposed um, CFA enterprise agreement covering paid firefighters includes consultation um, provisions similar to those in the MFB agreement. The former CFA board opposed these provisions and was eventually sacked. Um, but there is, you know, um, an additional obstacle to the adoption of the CFA agreement. Um, Volunteers Fire Brigade Victoria, an organisation claiming to represent volunteer firefighters, has objected to the grant. Of course, they're headed by a highly paid CEO. And, of course, you know, a law adopted by the federal coalition government in 2016 gives such organisations the power to block 
enterprise agreements covering paid um, staff in emergency service bodies such as the CFA. Um, the Victorian government has tried to op- overcome this obstacle by restructuring the fire services, separating paid and volunteer firefighters into two separate organisations, but the legislation has been blocked in the state uphouse. So that's kind of the state of, um, you know, this new agreement, and sort of if you, it's probably good to get that kind of out there because you read so much sort of kind of outright lies put forward by the mainstream media, especially in the Murdoch media, around, you know, the so-called evil firefighters union. Alright, so I'm just going to play a quick announcement and we'll go move on to the activist um, calendar. Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. La, 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 la. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Okay, welcome back to Green Left Weekly Radio listeners. You're listening 3CR, 855 on am dial. And just because before we move on to calendar, a quick announcement. The subscriber drive is on from the 12th of February, so people who have not take out a subscription to 3CR, please do so. It's um, time to boost our numbers to keep the station running. Um, okay, calendar. I think this, we need to talk about this a bit more, actually. Um, the SO workers have been on strike for such a long time. Uh, 200 SO UGL gas maintenance workers have been fighting for over 200 days now. And, again, this is one of the um, CUB-type um, strikes where you know they are trying to cut massive pay cuts uh, that the company wants to restore on, uh, to to install on them and the anti family roster being forced on them by the sixth largest company in the world one of the richest in other words and these workers and the families are on the front front line of uh, fighting for their living standards so you can follow them on facebook an alternative that's support SO workers and alternatively donate to support their pickets by transferring money to the Fair Pay Fighting Fund and the BSB is 633000 and the account number is 160 or uh, and two uh, I think it's 525622 so if you go to the Facebook it'll give you it'll give you all the um Going on strike, and uh, hopefully we can um, follow up on this one as well. Australian paper works, uh, workers from the Australian paper in uh, Preston have been out of out of the gate for over a week now. They are not um, asking for much. Uh, they are some of the lowest paid workers in the industry. And uh, if you want to show any support, people who live in the northern suburbs, 54 Raglan Street, Preston, that's not far from the Preston Market, Anytime between 6 a.m. and 11 p.m., there will be ongoing uh, picket line there, and a gold coin donation is is requested by workers there to support their families. So that's the paper workers in 24 Raglan Street, Preston. 
Okay, the next, um, the first kind of announcements I want to make is on 1pm um, at the State Library. Um, there will be, this Saturday, there will be um, a rally. Um, there'll be an Unemployed Workers' Union National Day of Action rally, which we just spoke to on the radio. But also at the same time, 1pm, there'll also be a rally with the Kurdish community um, to basically stand in solidarity with the people in Afrin and against um, Turkey's aggression. Um, on Sunday, um, I should just... I should go backtrack there. At 6.30pm, I just want to put attention. I don't have the full details, but there is going to be a meeting on West Papua, as far as I know, um, at 6.30pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. And um, then this Sunday, there will be a rally, 1pm Black Lives Matter. It's going to be a rally organised against the kind of scapegoating of African youth and migrants, um, bringing the community together to stand up against racism and especially against racial policing that, you know, occurs too often in um, particular communities in Melbourne, such as Flemington and Kensington. Um, on Tuesday um, night, there will be a public forum um, featuring a panel of different speakers. Um, this will be at 6.30pm um, um, this Tuesday at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, um, 407 Swanson Street, and it's about the criminalisation of African communities or race and politics, the criminalisation of African um, communities, and we'll ha- feature a panel of um, Sudanese um, uh, speakers from the African community, um, and we'll also feature a speaker from the Flemington Kensington Legal Centre, and also feature um, Socialist Alliance councillor Sue Bolton. Okay, on that free West Papua campaign you mentioned, um, Jacob, it's um, at the Brunswick Town Hall, corner of um, Dawson or Glen Lyon and Sydney Road at 6.30. The free Papua campaign and networks and supporters are organised this evening. It will feature talks from Senator Richard Di Natale, of course, the leader of the Greens, and you've got Sue Bolton, who is a Moreland City Councillor. And it's they both have been long-time campaigners for indigenous right, indigenous peoples of West Papua to self-determination. And this will be followed by a Q&A session with other free West Papua campaigners um, and activists. In fact, Jacob Rumbiak is a foreign minister for the um, free Papua, the Papuan government, uh, and he's got office in uh, Docklands. And Ronnie Carini, a West Papuan singing and dance performer, and he's fantastic. His music is great. Um, I've listened to it, and he used to work for 3CR as well. And the West, and there'll be West Papuan food, and that's delicious. Um, so please make yourselves available for this um, event. It's uh, 6.30 at the Brunswick Town Hall, and if you want any details, you can ring Lucius on 466 903 339. It's Friday. So today we've got Chasing Asylum um, screening and punk alternative rock gig for refugees, especially when that invites the music community to come together and engage in conversation and uh, discuss what house it treats the refugees and asylum seekers. It's a quality mixed bill of bands from hardcore punk, alternative rock, Grunge, whatever that means, and garage punk scenes. I'm not familiar with all these terms. We'll take uh, the stage um, and to inspire support for refugee action, um, the Refugees Act, the Refugee Action Collective, and the uh, Asylum Seeker Resource Center. So 6 to 11.30 p.m., it's at the Reverence Hotel, 28 Napier Street in Footscray. 
uh, on Saturday, there's theatre for children in the idyllic cottage on the British coast. Two retired nuclear scientists are enjoying quiet life. Um, outside the world is a chaos of a devast- uh, after a devastating Fukushima-like disaster. The one day an old friend arrives with a frightening proposition. The fallout will be catalytic. So it's at the South Bank. The theatre should be fun. Sounds like a bit depressing to, to watch, but I'm sure they'll do a good job. It's 140 South Bank Boulevard in South Bank. Okay, Sunday we've got the uh, two... Um, rallies that we talked about and also a free popular um, event that evening and there's another event um, on Sunday the 4th of February rally no racism stop criminalizing African communities uh, join us to say no to Turnbull and Dutton's racism and Black Lives Matter and for funding for public schools, housing and communities and not policing the, the tougher bail laws so that's at 1 p.m. State Library on the 4th of February, which is Sunday. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, there's a launch of Melbourne's Real Transport Vision. Um, that's being done at 8 a.m. Parliament Steps, Spring Street. Uh, so they, they start at 8 o'clock. It's, um, you'll hear from families about ongoing health impacts and job potential from investing in sustainable transport options, some politicians that are standing up for sustainable transport and how you can get involved. And there's a public meeting on um, racism and politics, criminalizing African communities. Speakers are Nawal Ali, who's a women's rights advocate, Khalid Osman, editor from African Migrant Magazine, and they are speaking at uh, Level 5, 405 Swanson Street, the Resistance Center, and it's opposite RMIT. Uh, 407. What did I say? 405. <laughs> Sorry, uh, 407. We're going to get into our third interview quite shortly. So yes. I'll get. Um, we'll keep going with the other announcements while I um, get the interview online. Yeah. Um, so some other things um, that are happening is on Tuesday, the February. Um, um, February the 13th is um, there'll be a public debate um, Apple in Federation Square they'll be at 6pm at the Deakin Edge um, so there'll be kind of a debate about this kind of recent um, development that will see potentially um, you know an Apple sh- um, a number of buildings uh, demolished in the Federation Square to make room for an Apple shop um, there's also a film screening from Thursday, February 18th. I feel like announcing this because it's in the activist calendar. It's by one of my favourite filmmakers, um, Michael Hanique's, um new film, Happy End, which apparently deals with uh, French bourgeoisie family set against um, the backdrop of the refugee in Calice, and that's going to be at the Cinema Nova. Um, there will be a public meeting, LGBTIQ refugees and Australian detention policy. They'll be at um, 6.30pm at room M1 at the AMNF building, 535 Elizabeth Street in the city. Um, there'll be a forum on Friday the um, 16th of February on reclaiming the state. Um, economist Bill Mitchell will give a presentation about his latest book, which offers an urgent, procreative and politicent um, um political analysis of our current predicament and lays out a comprehensive strategy for revitalizing progressive economies in the 21st century. Um, there will be a LASNET open meeting Tuesday in, on Saturday the February 19th on building solidarity with our peoples. Um, they'll be at 2pm at the Shrades Hall corner of Ligon Street. 
um, and there'll be a film screening, uh, Inconvenient Tr- Sequel, Truth to Power, and that will be, that will, fi- um, that will, is hosted by Moreland Energy Foundation and Climate Action Moreland. They'll also, that will be, yeah, that'll be at, s- 7pm the Coburg Town Hall at 90 Bell Street. Um, there'll be a music uh, gig by Ezekiel Ox at the Evelyn Hotel at February the 23rd at um, 351 Brunswick Street in Fitzroy. And the last thing I'll announce is on Tuesday, February the 27th, um, the Western Sahara Association National Day of Dinner. They'll be at 6.30pm at the, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce this, something filler, filler, Epic Society at the, which is on the second floor of 329 Olympus Street in the city. And you can call you book it by searching Western Sahara Association National Day, um, dinner into Google. Okay, um, we'll, we'll we get, um, I'm gonna quickly just play a quick announcement, um, and then we might get into, uh, our first, uh, second and last interview of the program. Alright, um, unfortunately, I apologise, we haven't been able to get on to our second interview. Um, don't seem to be answering the phone for some reason, and that's the second time it's happened today, but um, no fear, we do have um, the story um, about the dispute on what's actually happening um, that will be given by Lali right now. Yeah. Okay, this is a, a group of workers who work for Ridley Agri. It's an Australian-owned company which supplies animal nutrition products across Australia. The company already bargains for collective agreement at several of its other sites. And to, on the 29th of January, members of the National Union of Workers and UWO at release Lara plant uh, went on strike for 24 hours. Workers are sticking together for a fair agreement that respects the union and provide a fair wage increase. Currently, the workers are on individual contracts and after pro- pro- proving that a majority of workers want a collective union agreement, um, they have been locked in bargaining since 2000, June 2017. So it's heating up and it's coming to a point where workers are not able to get what they want and obviously the, the picket, at the, the strike was a sign of that. Now, the organizer um, was supposed to talk to us today. Maybe he's um, either late or too tired being on the picket line, um, trying to hold the strike together and support workers. But we will try and get all of them another time. But talking about workers, um, I think it's, it's um, important to, to note that, you know, uh, how difficult it is for workers on work sites. Um, two Victorian uh, workers were killed in 48 hours, uh, the, and the third had been seriously injured after the string of workplace incidents in Victoria over the last past two days. WorkSafe Victoria has reported that yeah, uh, these men were in the early 20s, the seriously injured, the, the man, sorry, was seriously injured and he fell at an apartment construction site in Fitzroy Tuesday morning. Another 29-year-old was electrocuted while working near a live uh, switchboard at a factory in Dandenong on uh, Monday. And a 17-year-old girl working as a stable hand died after falling from a horse at property at uh, Tiak near Bradford on Sunday. So following the, the fatal incidents, WorkSafe has warned employees of the, of the need to make sure employees 
returning from holidays or starting work for the first time fully understand the risks involved. The head of the operations and emergency management, Adam Watson, said many young workers were starting new jobs or perhaps entering the workforce for the first time and other workers are returning to workers after taking a break. He said workers need extra care and attention from supervisors and obviously employers have the legal responsibility for um, providing a safe workplace. So young workers often lack experience and can be reluctant to ask questions um, and they need to be educated about the risks involved in their jobs. So employers are reminded that they need to ensure they receive the correct training and supervision. So this is what happens when laws are so biased against workers and um, employers have you know, have a field day, field day. They, they don't provide um, good working conditions, which means you have deaths. And this is a prime example of what's happened. Two workers in, in 24 hours. Ridiculous. Mm. But anyway, you, you had another news, uh, Jacob. Okay, so this is something we're going to probably um, end the show on, and this is a bit of a discussion on what's happening in Latin America. Um, the country I want to talk about now is um, Venezuela and this is from an article from the latest Green Left Weekly which is compiled from Venezuela Analysis and Telesur English. Um, basically, um, the Venezuela's National Con- Constituent Assembly has approved a proposal to hold um, presidential elections before April the 30th and this move comes a day after you know the European Union um, had targeted Venezuela with um, with announced sanctions with sanctions targeting seven Venezuelan senior state officials on January 22nd. Um, This proposal um, um, to bring forward the election scheduled for October was moved by ANC delegate um, Diosado Calabello, one of the officials hit by the sanctions, you know, and he said... Um, if the world wants to apply sanctions to us, we will apply elections. The UN. Mm-hmm. That's a nice one. <laughs> yeah. The European Union Foreign Affairs Council justified the sanctions by claiming that the government, functioners are involved in the non-respect of democratic principles or the rule of the law, as well in, is in violation of human rights. And now, I kind of want to put a comment in there. I mean, I don't want, I don't like putting in kind of whataboutism kind of arguments, but the problem is, it's good. It seems that it's quite selective on what the UN um, is applying um, sanctions to on this basis. I mean, there's a lot of countries that are part of the UN that participate in a lot of anti-democratic kind of actions. Of course, there's at the same time, um, the Brussels-based body um, did not, you know, even provide evidence for these kind of accusations that are put towards Venezuela. Um, this move, you know, mark, does mark the first time that the European Union has opposed um, san- um, sanctions on uh, direct sanctions on Venezuelan officials. And of course, the new Euro- European Union pressure follows on the heels of a fresh round of sanctions opposed by the US administration in early January. <clears throat> and of course, Venezuelan um, Foreign Minister um, issued a statement on January 22nd um, p- blasting the European Union sanctions as illegal. Um, and he, he states here that you know these illegal, these shameful actions um, violate the fundamental precepts of the United Nations Charter and attempt to exercise a vulgar interference in our country's internal affairs, the statement read. Today, the European Union once again offers irrefutable proof of its obvious 
subordination to um, the racist and um, supremacist governments of Donald Trump. Um, And, of course, within hours of this um, announcement, um, current President Nicolas Mandura confirmed the the run... um, that he will run for a recent election as um, the United Socialist Party of Venezuela, PSUV candidate. Um, and opposition parties are planning to hold primaries to choose a unif- unified presidential candidate. Um, two opposition leaders have already announced their presidential aspirations. However, plans by the Opposition Democratic Union- Unity Roundtable Coalition to hold the primaries could be complicated if hardliners decide to go ahead with a campaign to boycott the election. Um, so that's for, um, in the latest Green Left Weekly. Um, you can read it in the Latin American section on the international. Um, okay, just um, quick um, kind of new... I might have a quick, might not sure. I'll just play a quick announcement. Communities of Sound is a 3CR curated lineup of summer afternoon performances showcasing treaty, creative women, and diverse cultures. Join us at the Fairfield Amphitheatre on Sunday, February 18th, between 5 and 7:30 p.m. to enjoy live performances from Kucha Edwards, Tando, the West Papuan Band, Sweet Dreams. Manisha Njali, June Jones, and Danny Sib. Pack a picnic to share with friends and family or grab a tasty bite and bevy from the 3CR food store. That's Sunday, 18th of February, 5 till 7.30 p.m. at the Fairfield Amphitheatre. For further details, call 94198377 or check out our website at 3cr.org.au. Presented as part of the City of Yarra's Fairfield and Feb series, alongside Play On and Melbourne Ukulele Collective. The City of Yarra is a proud sponsor of 3CR. All right, so now um, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. We have probably like five minutes left. Um, I just want to point um, attention to this last article that I'll read out. Is um, It's written by Craig Steffen in, um, in the latest Green Left Weekly, um, but it's about... Um, about the Labor Party in New Zealand, um, and you know whether whether it offers um, it offers a lot of promise, um, but is it enough? Um, and of course, the as he writes here, the Labor-led coalition government in New Zealand was formed in October um, after the working kind of unsurping of the nine years of rule by the neoliberal National Party. Um, the curious but potential um, work potentially workable alliance has made 37-year-old Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister, pitching to the left, including publicly criticising um, capitalism. And, of course, Ardern has become, had become Labour leader um, just eight weeks from out from Election Day. Of course, in terms of the kind of response, um, you know, the, un- um, the um, the unions have welcomed this kind of have welcomed the change in government, which is largely due to a left wide track from Labor. There are great opportunities for the new government to make progress under the National Party. New Zealand experienced large scale loss in economic growth due to rising inequality. Um, now, just to go into examining um, the kind of reforms, so far the new government has, you know, raised the minimum wage by 0.95 cents, extended pa- pa- paid parental leave from 18 to 22 weeks, with a further extension to 26 weeks pro- promised, cancelled um, nationals' proposed tax cuts that would have benefited the rich and raised the amount students get through loans and allowances by $50 a week. In fact, that's actually... 
and it's probably more than what the Labor government has done in the, in the, in the, when they've been in power. Um, so you can read more on this article on Green Left Weekly.